It's Christmas Eve, all who believe Santa is here, but once a year, all girls and boys dream of new toys. Soundly they sleep, wishes to keep. Jing, jing, ling, come hear us sing. Breaths on the door, stockings and more. Magic this drive, spells come alive. Snow in the air, laughter to share. Submitted for your consideration, man has always challenged nature, thinking that they contain the elements. But what happens when nature changes the rules and fights back? This is the Nature versus Man Two for one literary license podcast episode, exploring science fiction and horror, and weighing the outcomes of a dying planet with your co-hosts Keith Chalco, John Wilson, Vicky Ray. And Jesse Fultz, man will forever be changed. Changed. Hello, welcome to Literary License Podcast, and it's our Nature versus Man episode. We'll be covering two films for the price of one. And our first film that we'll be covering is Toxic Avenger the Musical, which was out in 2010, though we are covering the 2016 West End production of it that was performed at the Arch Theatre in London. And our second feature is Anna the Apocalypse, was released in 2017. So before we go any further, let's find out who's with us. We got Barry Waldo with us. Hello, Barry. Hi, everyone. And Joe Randazzo. Hello, Joe. Hi, everyone. Great to be back. And Vicki Ray. Hello, Vicki. Hi, everybody. And before we get started, we'd like to find out what we've all been up to since last time we spoke, which wasn't that long ago. So, starting with Vicki, what have you been up to since I spoke to you <laughs> yesterday? I give you a rundown about the kennel club here. I don't think our listeners want to know what I've been cleaning up for the last few nights. Um, <laughs> Nope, just um, hanging out with Asher, 
getting ready for Christmas, watching Christmas stories, watching as many Christmas scary stories as I can because I like the Christmas horror stuff, like uh, like just about everything. Joe always has a good list, so I always creep his Facebook to see what he's watching. <laughs> well, during Halloween, some stuff on that I have to watch from last night that I didn't get a chance to. Vicky, Christmas horror, that sounds familiar. Yes, it does. But uh, yeah, just, just getting ready for the holidays and just trying to chill and have fun and hang out with the loved ones. And what about yourself, Joe? What have you been up to? Uh, since the uh, since the last time, or since the last uh, the double feature podcast, which, uh, uh, what did I do? Wow. Uh, Wrote a, uh, finished another screenplay, um, got hired to transcribe an old screenplay by, uh, by a, a producer I've known for 20 years. Cause he's like, Hey, you're home. Can I pay you to take this script I wrote in the nineties and put it on final draft? I was like, oh, sure. <laughs> that's, uh, that's fun. Cause he needed a digital copy. So I've been, I've been focusing mainly on writing as usual and, um, hoping, uh, something comes of some of the projects that I've been working on. I've, um, currently, uh, working on four separate screenplays in various different stages, uh, plotting one out later today or continuing to plot one out. I'm on the story. I'm almost finished with the story for one that I'm about to start writing and finished a draft on two others. So this week, <laughs> what's that? You're a little overachiever this week. Oh, there's a lot I'm I'm doing. Uh, I was actually telling Keith I'm starting something new with uh, well, with Celeste from Hex and Arcane. We're starting something tonight, so um, so yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see where everything goes. Can't wait to see what you got. I can't what about yourself. What about yourself, Barry? What have you been up to? Just a lot like Joe. Um, let's see. This week was burning the midnight oil. I've got. For writing projects right now, I've got a adult contemporary fiction supernatural thingy that is in its third draft with uh, development edits. So that is, I, development edits are my kind of like least favorite part of the writing process. Um, I've got a young adult, I'm doing my next young adult uh, supernatural thing, and that one is probably about 40% finished. And I just, you know, uh, keep hoping for more lockdown so I can get. <laughs> So I can get to it because nothing's better for writing than lockdown. Um, Agreed. Well, January's coming. (laughs) There you go. You guys will probably have plenty of time. (laughs) It looks like we're going to boomerang right back, right? Um, I've got a picture book series that I'm doing uh, that I'm super excited about. And um, I've got a brand new project that I'm just starting that's a graphic novel that I've never done a graphic novel before. Very cool. It's at the, the super early stages, but it's taking a lot of time because it's a true story uh, based on a friend of mine that uh, has a fascinating background. So, um, you know, you kind of have to get inside their head a little bit to write it. So, yeah. And then managed to do a little holiday shopping, got the Christmas tree, dropped by Harrods today. And what an amazing. So jealous. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm having a spot of tea. As an American, I find that so fun now in the U.K., <laughs> and it's so quaint, you know, the, the, the shops and just the Charles Dickens Christmas thing kind of going on, you know? It is the season. I tell you, we need it. The little sparkle goes a long way. Yeah, I've noticed that in London, um, we don't, most Londoners don't really do the whole Americans 
decorating outside their house situation that um, America has been famous for. But I'm finding this year, I'm seeing a lot more people decorating the outside of their houses this year. It's almost yeah, like, we, well, I also think it's because um, they've been locked up and now I think everyone's like f- making sure they can make things as bright and as cheery as possible oh, gosh, considering yes. the times that we're in. Yeah. So, so it's quite nice, actually. And myself, well, we did the Bewitched episode, which is out now for um, people. This will, and we've d- been doubling up on our episode, so I can get my three weeks off for Christmas. So yay! Yeah, I don't have the deal. Um, and outside of that, I've been playing That's Destiny. T- <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give Vicky plenty of time to read Hunchback of Notre Dame. And um, let's see what else we're oh, been playing Destiny Two on the Xbox and Dragon's Quest on the Xbox and. Finishing off some stuff for the end of the year, and I start working from home starting on Monday. So I'll be seeing patients from home with a blank wall, but I have to wear my scrubs to make it look like I'm at work. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So I really like patients out there, and I do give you a call one. for your consultation. I'm actually at home. Yay! You have to <laughs> so, set up another yeah, camera so I can watch. COVID. You have to set up another camera because I really <laughs> and, want to listen in on that. <laughs> Knowing you, like and, I know. um. And at work, we're doing a lot of um, COVID injecting of 80s plus. And so that's we're, that's averaging to about 150 to 300 a day at the moment. So so we're doing that at the moment. So, cool. And then we get all these people back in 21 days and do them all over again. So yay. So, yay, not once but twice. But yeah, I'm waiting for the day where I'm waiting for the day that when I give someone an injection, their flesh doesn't fall off because everyone's old. They're like really old. So. <laughs> like, You're so full of humanity. But anyway. The humanitarian side of it has always overwhelms me. So what we're going to do now is we're going to cut to Story Geek, a podcast which is going to tell you what you can watch, what you can download, and what you can stream during the COVID crisis. Take it away, Story Geek. What movies and TV shows should you be watching the week of December 14th? I'm Jay Shear, co-writer and co-director of Death of a Bounty Hunter. Posters behind me here on the wall. The supernatural steampunk western. Available now as a full cast audiobook and a novel. Check out our preview at deathofabountyhunter.com. On this week's segment, I am giving you my top 10 things that came out on streaming this year in 2020 plus a few extras as honorable mentions. With this year almost over, thankfully, how should we be spending the rest of our time? Maybe watching some things on streaming. Now, I should note that there are several things coming out that I have not yet seen. Wonder Woman 1984, Soul, for example. Those might be amazing and might make my final top 10 list, but if you want to still catch some of this stuff, I want to make sure you have this information in your hands. First up, my honorable mentions. These did not make my top 10, but were very close. First up, Tiger King. You know, pre-pandemic, when 2020 was looking like an improvement over 2019, the world was riveted by Tiger King. And for good reason, it's very entertaining. Plus, it's got Carol Baskins. Something else I recommend is The Floor is Lava. The editing on The Floor is Lava... It's super weird, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's a very fun show and you should definitely check it out. Now, if you're looking for something heartwarming, I highly recommend Love on the Spectrum. Part documentary, part reality TV show. It follows people on the spectrum trying to find love. And it's fantastic, and you should go check it out. The Holiday Movies That Made Us. Fantastic writing and editing drive this show, but they're also talking about movies that we love, including holiday movies that we love with behind the scenes information. Highly recommend the holiday movies that made us. Restaurants on the Edge. Back when COVID 
lockdowns started rolling out, this was a perfect little vacation show, a way to escape a little bit. Now, watching right now might make me cry because we can't go anywhere, but the food looks amazing, the locations are amazing, and it's a really fun show to watch. The final recommendation for me, rounding out my honorable mentions, Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Some truly hilarious moments unfold in just these three episodes. I hope they do more. As with most improv, it's hit or miss. But with these two guys, it is mostly hit. There are some really funny bits here. If you like improv even just a little, Middle Ditch and Swartz is fantastic. All right, here we go. Starting with number 10, Enola Holmes. Now, Millie Bobby Brown is incredibly entertaining, and Enola Holmes is a perfect vehicle for her. It's not a perfect film by any means. It gets a little dark near the end for little kids, Otherwise, it's a really fun ride. Henry Cavill as Sherlock feels like Hulk Hogan playing Bill Nye the Science Guy. But hey, we know that Sherlock Holmes liked to use PEDs to get his mind going. Maybe he decided to use it to get his muscles going, too. But ignore all that. Enola Holmes is fun. You should go watch it. Enola Holmes is available on Netflix. Coming in at number nine, The Queen's Gambit. I didn't know The Queen's Gambit was about chess when I started watching. And I like chess, but I haven't played in over a decade. But guess what? It doesn't matter. It is a fantastic show with amazing performances across the board. Fantastic production design as well. It makes this series worth your time, so I highly recommend it. The Queen's Gambit is also available on Netflix. Coming in at number 8, Onward. I was not interested in Onward when I saw the previews. It felt like Pixar was maybe trying a little too hard, and then I watched it. And as is the case with most Pixar movies, I loved it. Onward is available on Disney+. Coming in at number seven, Schitt's Creek, the final season. Schitt's Creek was a fantastic sitcom, one of the better ones in recent years. And the last season did not disappoint, including the finale, which a lot of times just goes really wrong. Like How I Met Your Mother. I'm still mad about the finale of that show. But Shit's Creek was one of the better pieces of content to come out on streaming in 2020. It is available on Netflix. Available for rent now is Bill and Ted Face the Music, and it comes in at number six. The older Bill and Ted films have become cult classics. And as we've seen numerous times, trying to reignite nostalgia years later can be a total disaster. But while Bill and Ted Face the Music isn't quite as entertaining as Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, it's better than Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and it's a really, really fun ride. Please go watch that film if you're into Bill and Ted at all. I think you will enjoy it. Coming in at number five, a stand-up special. Nate Bargetsy, The Tennessee Kid. I watch a lot of stand-up comedy. And we're sort of in a golden age of stand-up comedy right now. There's a lot of great specials out there. Nate Bargetsy is one of my personal favorites. I was able to see him in person at the Bray Improv this last year, and it was one of the best stand-up performances I have ever seen. And his stand-up special, The Tennessee Kid, on Netflix is awesome, and I highly recommend you go watch it. Coming in at number four on Disney Plus is Hamilton, the musical. I can count on one hand the number of musicals that I actually enjoy. It's not really my thing, but Hamilton is fantastic. Lin-Manuel Miranda and his co-creators do something here that is remarkable. By retelling the story of Alexander Hamilton with a diverse cast, they allow immigrants to embrace a revolutionary but oppressive 
time period. That's really difficult to do. And I know not everybody appreciates it, but I was stunned with how inclusive they were able to be in Hamilton. They do call out the bad, but they also embrace the good for what it can do for our future. So it's not all about looking into the past. It's about what we're going to do moving forward. Hamilton, in my opinion, is a can't miss. It's on Disney+. Plus. Coming in at number three, The Last Dance on Netflix. A docu-series on Michael Jordan's career. I barely pay attention to sports anymore. I just don't have the time for it. I wish I did. But I loved Air Jordan as a kid and wore a bunch of his clothes. I couldn't afford the shoes, but I would wear Air Jordan t-shirts. And I found this documentary incredibly riveting. He's a very fascinating personality and clearly one of the best competitors of all time. If you loved him, if you hate him, or if you're just a fan of athletes or basketball, I would highly recommend The Last Dance on Netflix. Coming in at number two, The Umbrella Academy Season 2. The Umbrella Academy is quirky, it's weird, the characters are total disasters, and that's why I love it. It's fun, it's funny, it's also very heartwarming and endearing. If you like quirky comic book action you'll enjoy this show but it is a love it or hate it kind of a thing so be warned but it does come in at my number two and coming in at number one this is not going to be surprising to anybody the mandalorian the mandalorian season two came out this year we're about to see the season finale this week and i am sure it will not disappoint because the rest of the season has been completely phenomenal if you're a star wars fan this show is bringing the entire fandom together because pretty much everybody loves it only steer clear of the mandalorian if you're a true star wars hater and if you are a true star wars hater I'm not sure we can be friends. The Mandalorian Season 2 is on Disney+. Plus. That is it. Those are my top 10. Do not forget, our novel and full cast audiobook, Death of a Bounty Hunter, is out now. A supernatural steampunk western. If you like Firefly or the Dark Tower series, or any sort of weird western like Jonah Hex, you'll be sure to enjoy Death of a Bounty Hunter. Go buy it for yourself or buy it as a Christmas present for somebody else. Visit www.deathofabountyhunter.com. This has been Jay Shear. I hope you have had fun, when you can, watching things on streaming over the course of this crazy weird year that is 2020. Have a great new year, and I will see you next year, and hopefully 2021 will be a lot better. Hopefully. Thanks for watching. Let me tell you a story about a man with a strange complexion He killed a lot of folks and he made a love connection By day he had a girl who baked him homemade breads By night he roamed the streets and he ripped off people's heads This is the legend, he's the legend The legend of the Toxic Avenger He killed them all one day He'll kill us all I bet then their crime went down And the freaky seemed okay I like him now Well as for his girlfriend Well she couldn't touch his face Cause he's out fighting crime And saving the human race Yeah this is the legend He's the legend The legend of the Toxic Avenger Yeah yeah He cleaned up Trombleville By plugging up the vets he won the children's love by saving all their cats. I love you, taxi. A taxi 
Back to Literary License Podcast, and now we're we'll be discussing Toxic Avenger the Musical, which was done in 2010 and off Broadway and came to the UK in 2016. Um, Toxic Avenger the Musical is a rock musical based on the 1984 film of the same name. The book of the musical was written by Joan DiPetro, it's music by David Bryan, and both wrote the lyrics. The musical was first produced on the direction of John Rando at George Street. Playhouse in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and opened after previews officially on October 10th, 2008. It moved to Off-Broadway in 2010, and the cast that we actually review is the West End cast, and I believe the only American that came over was April. Everyone else was British. So so what we're going to do is cut to the trailer to Toxic Avenger the Musical, and we'll be right back to discuss it. The Toxic Avenger. He's a different kind of hero. Melvin, you're looking more and more like your father every day. The classic story of the Beauty and the Beast. He's a hero who fights for the safety of New Jersey. And she's a blind librarian who just wants to fall in love. Could this be the greatest love story ever told? Into the Toxic Avenger. The Toxic Avenger, now on Broadway HD. Hello, welcome back to Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing Toxic the Avenger the Musical. So, Barry, what are your thoughts of Toxic Avenger the Musical? I mean, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, I am a newbie to Toxic Avenger. Uh, I think I watched it. Um, a month a month ago, I watched it again about a week ago. Um, I can't get enough of it. Uh, it is so, I mean, if I can say this, it's so fantastically flawed, um, yes. but brilliant at the same time that by the time you get to the third act in the end, you're just completely and utterly, you know, committed and sucked in. 
uh, for it. So, and, you know, you're waiting to see how a lot of these characters, what other costumes they could possibly put on. Um, and you find yourself playing this little game with like, wait, he played this role and that role in the last couple of hours. Now he's this person. Now he's a woman. Now she's a man now, you know, and it's just a fantastic, um, wonderful, unapologetic, which I think is something that every single person in the entertainment industry needs to learn, which is just to be fearless and unapologetic. That, that also applies to Anna and the Apocalypse. I mean, you know, if you try to make something too polished or too perfect, um, so often it just doesn't work, but these two things just embraced it and went for it. And what about yourself, Joe? What are your thoughts? Uh, like, like Barry, I'm new to the Toxic Avenger musical. I'd seen the, I'd seen the movies a bunch of times. Um, and yeah, it's, that was the thing that amazed me is just more than anything performance wise, it's five cast members pulling off everything. Um, three in particular are playing multiple parts and playing them very well. And in particular, I think, uh, I think her name was Natalie something that played the um, played uh, Melvin's mother and the mayor. Oh yeah. She was spectacular. It's un- it's unbelievable how, how, how amazingly she pulls it off. Um, I, unfortunately, because I, I'm new to this, I didn't get a chance to, to, uh, to look up the names of the actors. I know it shows up, it shows it at the end. Uh, but just that, that, that's the thing that gets me performance wise, uh, how amazing it is. Uh, the music, of course, it's, uh, David Bryan of, uh, Bon Jovi. So a lot of it, I, I thought sounded a bit like a Bon Jovi, uh, uh, um, exactly. song from, uh, from the late eighties. You could definitely tell that. I think even the, the look of the folk singer kind of look like would, Sammy Hagar maybe based on David. <laughs> he looked like Sammy Hagar. <laughs> does look a little like Sammy Hagar too. <laughs> His wig alone deserves a Tony. It, it was, uh, it, it's a fun, it's, it's pretty fun though. It's uh, it's like two hours and two minutes and I got up this morning and watched it and it just kind of flew by. So that's, yeah. That's one of the important things uh, on this kind of thing. Performance wise, just blows every, everything out of the water. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I loved it. And what about yourself, Vix? What are your initial thoughts? I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I don't get a chance to see too well. Who's seen anything in the past six or seven months? My daughter had me going to little theater here out by uh, in Arlington there every so often because <clears throat> they really enjoyed it. But um, I thought this was a lot of fun, and unapologetic is probably the best adjective you could probably come up with for it and if you're easily offended then this stuff is not for you <laughs> so and if you're obnoxious like me, <laughs> you're gonna love every single minute of it and it, it, they're these people take on so many different facades and they're so quick about it and they're so versatile they really do need standing ovations they were fantastic and uh like the one who played the mayor and I might, the name is eluding me i had it all here a little while ago i can't see where i put it but uh, she was fantastic. And um, and the Toxic Avengers girlfriend, what was her name? April, wait, what was her name? April. April. She was funny as all get out, especially towards the end when she's like, you could tell she's like kind of getting burnt out. And she's like laying there with her legs spread out, you know, and she was like laughing. I have to do this like eight times a week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden she had her little soliloquy. You know, where she and you knew the audience was enjoying it because it was it was it was just a lot of fun. I don't know how anybody couldn't like it, but you know, it just to each your own. I I love anything trauma. It's just good, clean fun. 
Okay, I think you make a good point because, you know, it, it's often so difficult when um, in live theater, they decide to break the fourth wall. And uh-huh. uh, I just thought with Toxic Avenger, they chose just the right moment to exactly. come the fourth wall. And the rest of the time, they would just quickly duck back behind it and it'd go away. And then every now and then there would just be this jab or mention that, you know, into pop culture or something that um, was kind of perfectly timed. And I have to say, that's a hard thing to pull off. Oh, she was she was funny, though. I mean, she's fantastic because it was really like a what do you call it? It's not one of your best best positions, probably as a woman on stage, the way they had her positioned, you know, and guy comes over and covers up her skirt and you know they were all having fun you could tell they were laughing about it you could tell that they were close much the same as you know with your cast and Anna and the apocalypse if you got chemistry it's gonna work and you know the audience is gonna see it and feel it for that matter and part of the uh part of the charm of the toxic avenger musical is it's kind of a commentary on that that, that trauma diy uh, DIY style uh, where, where um, yeah, there's a lot of mistakes in the movies because a lot of times they're making these movies in just a matter of like a couple of days where it would have been, you know, months for, for a studio. So yeah, sometimes you're, you're going to find those little flaws in the way that they had the, the crew sometimes visible and the, the, the crew actually break the fourth wall. And uh, it's, it's really a lot of fun and it's, it, that that's the thing that stood out most to me is I'm like, Oh my God, this, this, this is a trauma movie for the stage and it absolutely works. It does. It's fantastic. I don't know how, I mean, how you can't laugh at it because all the, the, the comedy, I was like just the verbiage and how the songs fit in and, you know, like liar, slut, whore, you know, the songs like that, they don't care who they buy. (laughs) And that's why I love them so much. That's, that's a trauma movie in a nutshell. They don't care who they offend. Yeah, equal opportunity offender. <laughs> I have to say that personally, I am not much of a big Broadway person as far as the big Broadway musicals, whether it's Wicked, Les Mis, Phantom. I'm more of the off-Broadway stuff because I love the off-Broadway stuff because stuff like Little Shop of Horrors, Weird Romance, Falsettos, um, Leaving Normal, those kind of stuff. Because I always find that I think that once you get to the big screen, the big stage, it's been like a big, big budget film that there's, you know, everything, there's a polishness that needs to go on. And there's a, there's, there's always a kind of a template that needs to go on because, you know, you're paying 150 to 200, sometimes more for a ticket. So you got to make sure you see that on stage. But when you go to an off Broadway or off West End, which this is off of West End, this was formed at the Arts Theatre here in London, which is basically a really small theater basically which is also acts as a comedy club so think of the size of a comedy club and having a musical put on there and it's basically that kind of thing there's a bar in the back in the back of the audience right there and it's all kind of one room um i guess barry if you've been to the denmar warehouse or um you probably you know know what it reminds me a little bit and I, i don't know what you call it when you know i made a reference earlier to breaking the fourth wall but there's also times where they break i don't know what you call it three wall three and a half like harry potter like platform nine and three fours Uh, where they don't really they're not breaking it into the audience but they're breaking it with each other on stage like the reference to the once he transforms into the toxic avenger and they uh she makes a little bit of a play on his eyeball um you know calling out the prop like almost literally as she plays with it you know but she just um, it feels a bit like they're ad-libbing and i i would be really curious to know how much of that is actually 
scripted versus ad lib because it reminds me um, when I lived in Chicago for a while, there was an improv group called too much light makes the baby go blind. And uh, it was just, the, we, we went oh, every week over and over again, because those improv groups just pull off the wittiest things. And it, it did remind me of like a, a very, like a two hour long improv, just pull it off. And uh, boy, they go for it. Mm. I'd say they say that if it's scripted to pull it off, to that effect and make it look like it's improv. I mean, that takes a hell of a talent as well to make it feel like, you know, that you're just pulling it out of your hat at any given moment. I also like the way that they were able to get the orchestra involved as well. Yeah. <laughs> She's the mayor. <laughs> they, yeah, they, the band member gets up and actually murders him in the play. Um, they did that in Waitress uh, here, here in the UK. That's probably the last live production I'm trying to think I saw in the West End was Waitress. Um, with what brilliant ta- talent, you know, um, Catherine McPhee. So uh, they have the band sits in the, the cafe on stage and plays the instruments during the, the show. And so there's only a few people that have pulled that off well. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think I've seen a couple shows where they've done that. Little Shop of, not Little Shop of, Best Little Warhouse in Texas has the the band on stage. And <laughs> Pump Boys and the Dinettes. I think yeah. the last time I saw that. Which one? Did Rent do it? Rent had them, no, they were, uh, in the London, they were in the pit, but in London, they were in a huge theater, so I'm not sure about, um, I mean, normally off-Broadway, they're normally, like, slightly behind, because, you know, if you're, if you're off-Broadway, it's, it's a smaller production, so you can't afford the cameras, <laughs> because normally the orchestra's in the back now, they put the orchestra in the back somewhere, or underneath the stage, and then it's all done by cameras. So they have like cam- the, the screens so the actors can see the screens, see the temple that's being played. And then they then everything's done through screens. That's what happens in like Les Mis sort of thing. So um, I know my ex um, directed Les Mis and what they, they basically did, the orchestra's underneath the revolving stage and the stage is revolving about, above them. <laughs> Which that, that revolve in Les Mis never stops. It never stops at once. Once the show starts, that revolve is going the whole show cool. sort of thing. That's the reason why when you see them do that dance on one day more, they're going, they're stepping like this. It's because they're stepping over because the stage is moving. No kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. I miss life. But, um, but I do like, but, you know, this, what I found quite bizarre with the Toxic Avenger, the musical is they took the movie and they took the animated series and they took the comic book and they amalgamated it into this musical, which is quite mm-hmm. clever because a- the April that you are seeing, that's not the April from the movie. That's the April from the cartoon series. Right. Um, even the way that she's dressed and everything was from the cartoon series. And totally there, there's other, kind of. and there's other characters from like the comic book and stuff. And I thought that was quite more, clever to be able to, because I mean, Toxic Avenger has gone through a lot of different changes through the years. Yeah. Yeah, it has though, but it's still got staying power though. No matter if you watch the movie or the play, I mean, if you're just, you know, I guess, well, Keith turned me on to all that stuff like almost a year ago. We're thinking, oh, let's do these trauma films. You'll love them. They're so PC <laughs> and correct. <laughs> it's like, I do, I love them. Been hooked ever since. Well, I think when we interviewed Lloyd, he was sitting there saying that Toxic Avenger was going to reopen in the West End again. Yeah. Um, but COVID happened and they're hoping that yeah. after COVID they'll open again because it was a smash in this country, apparently. Yeah, it, re- it would have been. He was talking about coming back to Dallas too. And just like, yes, hit me up, hit me up. I'll look for drive-ins for you, you know? Well, if they pull off, I think it's a, a, a good idea to bring it back because I think if they pull off what they did in the 
taping of it. Um, and that audience involvement is just yeah. so incredible. And I think that I, you know, speaking for myself after being cooped up in lockdown here in London, and then I was in lockdown in Los Angeles and then again in London, I mean, I can't wait to throw something at the stage, whether it's a piece of toast and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh my God, that would be so much fun if someone would do that right now, but they'll never do just that. Just get out of my seat and dance. And I'm trying to think they did that at a, in a Westin musical here where they really got the crowd up and danced. I think it might've been beautiful, you know, Carol King story or um, there was, gosh, there was another couple of them, but you know, you just, th those performances are not just about sit back and watching. You really emotionally commit to getting in and um, you're kind of tired with the actors a little bit towards the end. You don't do the whole performance, but right. I, I love that part of the audience interaction uh, of Toxic Avenger. I just thought that was one of the more fun parts to even watch, you know, on a video of it. So Avenue Q had that kind of thing where you just were on such a high when you left it. I think I think the last musical I was on a high that I left when I saw it was um, Hairspray leaves you on a big high. When you go see Hairspray on stage, you just walk out and you just I mean the moment it starts, you're smiling from ear to ear and then Finally, when it ends, and your your face just hurts from smiling the whole time watching it. When they incorporate the audience, it's such a more meaningful experience for those in the audience, and it's more memorable, you know. And it does kind of tend to leave a smile on your face. You know, I mean, what's quite good about London at the moment is that we did not get used to get a lot of the off Broadway stuff because there's not the theaters here. But now they are. Now there are. We have the Menu's Chocolate Factory, and we got a couple other places where we have smaller venues now. So they're able to pull off these off Broadway ones because the problem with the off Broadway is that when they would come, um, sometimes when they uh, move to the main stages or the, the larger stages, that sometimes the production kind of gets lost. In productions, Little Shop of Horrors kind of gets lost when it was when it went on and it's on Broadway because basically when it first opened, you had the plant and the plant took up the whole stage. Right. And, but if, if your stage is you know only about you know ten feet ten feet wide so, and ten feet long, it's pretty easy to do that. But then when you get to one of these great big old theaters and basically Audrey no longer taking up and the, you know you no longer get those ten out into the audience grabbing the audience at the same time right. you kind of lose a little bit of the show so i say that you know one thing that london basically did do that was quite right is start opening up smaller theaters for smaller productions because i've seen like carrie the musical which was fantastic here and other smaller productions which Wasn't does pay the off exorcist, the, the, no that was a play they did yeah it? i saw the exorcist on stage as well the only problem with the exorcist on stage was Ian McKellen um, playing the part of the devil, so it was just his voice, and it just it just sounded too much like Gandalf. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, your mother starts talking now. I was like, oh my god, Gandalf, what are you doing? <laughs> so yeah, and it had um had what's her name in it as well. Um, well who's the actress who was in the Runaway the Runaway Children, and she was also in American Werewolf in London. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Oh, yeah, God. she's in it. Yeah, very like very poshy. She played the uh, Reagan's mom. It was okay. It had, it had the staging of it was brilliant. Um, but I think the theater was kind of too big for the for the show. I think if it was a smaller show, more intimate, it would probably would have grabbed you more, sort of thing. I think it was um, it was at the um, Phoenix Theater here, which is it's not a huge theater. It's not like the huge theater that we're um, 
Les Mis was playing or Wicked's playing or one of those. It's more of a smaller theaters, but it's still kind of big. So did you pick up on the nice nod to Phantom of the Opera in Toxic Avenger? That was kind of fun. <laughs> I yeah, I think I think what's I think it's one of those shows, you know, the thing is this show must be very, very hard to cast to find enough musical actors who are so versatile that can be sing able, and dance. Well, it's not just, a big thing is they're not, you know, like the two guys, for instance, they're not just singing in their own voice. They actually have to sing in the, all, all the characters' voices. So they right. can't just come out and just sing like they normally do. You know, right. you can't just come out and go, oh, sort of they thing. Were they, like, they were just. I think I just had the most brilliant idea I may have ever had, which is Keith and Vicky and Joe, maybe they'll come to us and ask us to uh, help cast Toxic Avenger for the West End because how much fun would it be to see Sarah Swire play oh my god and Malcolm Cummings play Melvin I mean he could totally pull it off she would blow it out of the water oh god yes that's a brilliant idea yeah I totally totally behind you <laughs> fantastic I want tickets if they stop locking London down every time I have plans to fly there I put it off for another couple <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> it would be so brilliant in those roles. They just, they really would be. That, that is really a good idea. That would be great, actually, yeah. He would kill it. They both would. Or Sarah could probably pull off, um, you know, uh, the mother and the mayor. I mean, that would be fun to see that her do too. that. You know, that one moment where she's, uh, has to, both characters have to be in the same scene. And uh, she, they jump back and forth, and she does all those quick change outfits. I mean, I, I, Sarah's got the energy to pull something like that off. She says remarkable energy, that girl does. You could just see it just talking to her. Yeah. She, she, she would probably wear me out. <laughs> My favorite Canadian, Sarah Swire. Favorite, I got a couple favorite Canadians, too. I have to sit there and say, though, um, I'm kind of wondering how their costumes, their costumes must have been all been, had Velcro in them. Because, I mean, there's so many quick changes in this. You're just like, I haven't seen this many quick changes. And I think the last time I saw so many quick changes was Mame on, um, on stage. And then Mame, basically, she walks off the stage. And then two minutes later, she's coming in on the other extra. And she's always in a new outfit. Every time you saw Mame, she's always in a new outfit. And she's on stage all the time. You know, yep. you, you know, you see these grand grand dames at that time. We got to Vegas just to see a share concert, and you'll see a lot of quick changes there. Yeah, yeah she's definitely the queen. <laughs> I've, of I've seen share in concert actually. Yeah, so it's with a different wig. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she can't change, she just get drag queens out to play her in different in her different <laughs> personas. <laughs> And again, performance-wise, to have to play those two characters at the same time, and with the costume, with the double and keep jumping around, and uh, and being uh, being the other being the other character, it's how she didn't lose her, lose her mind doing that. I don't know, it's, but she was fantastic, beautifully sexy on the one hand, and then she's you know an older, more dull kind of human on the other hand, and she she could yes. get both of them, you know, because she definitely had it both ways. I, did you also notice that when she's having a fight with herself and she's singing their song, that she's changing her voice from character to character as well, yeah. like doing that quick change of their voice? And it's like that's that's what I meant. I'm like, how do you exhausting. not go crazy? You know, trying like second and second guessing yourself and wondering, am I doing the right voice right now? Just I guess you just get lost in the moment. It that was fantastic. Awesome, that, that's, 
What's that? Looked exhausting. Oh yeah, it's got to be. There's no way to pull that off if you take yourself um, like a. To keep to your point, it's the difference between off Broadway and Broadway. If you're a Broadway show and you take yourself seriously, you have a bigger budget and you've got a bigger team, you can't pull off that quick change thing in a comedic way where it works. Whereas, you know, a lot of the costumes that she was quick changing into were, they look like, you know, a piece of felt that had a couple of seams in it and then she'd have to throw it on again. And that's probably a lot of wear and tear after doing the show. But, um, you know, it became part of the humor and part of the story because, she even sings this song about it. And they even write their, their scripted lines about the fact that she's like, oh my God, well, it's impossible for me to be in the same room with you know, that other character. And the whole audience knows that she's playing both roles, but she acts like, and the whole cast you know, buys into the philosophy that I don't understand what you're talking about. You know, both of these characters are going to have to meet you know, pretty soon. She's like, well, it's impossible for them to meet. And she never says why. And I loved how they tease that because the audience knows why is because she plays both characters and she can't be two characters at once. And then just when you think it's not going to happen, they figured out a way to have a lot of fun with it and pull that off. And so that, you know, she, both the characters she played could be on stage at the same time. Yeah. And had, had it been something that took itself more seriously? Yeah. It wouldn't have worked. No, no, it wouldn't have. I do like the um, the slight winks to the audience as well, all the way through it. You know, it's like, oh, can you just stop singing now? You're, you're overacting now and all the other stuff that goes along with it. And I thought that was quite good because it does help the audience feel more involved. And and I quite what I also liked is that sometimes when they do film a theater production, you don't really get, um, you know, England films a lot of theater productions and we tend to get them around Christmas time. We got like Imelda Stoughton doing Gypsy. Um, we got the the stage production of that and other productions of that, um, whether it's um, sometimes Into the Woods or Sweeney Todd or something like this, you know, really, you're kind of, you're kind of watching it and the camera, the camera works really, really well done on those, but you never really see the audience. We're here. They, they made it show you that this is an audience participation kind of a program when they show the audience and the audience sure looks like they're having a real good time. And it it does, there's another film, another musical that we were going to cover this year until I've, stumbled across Anne and the Apocalypse and we replaced it. We were going to do Evil Dead, the musical, mm-hmm. which I saw, which um, anyone that's familiar with Evil Dead, the musical, what happens is the first eight rows, you have, they give you have to, they give you a Mac to wear. Yeah. Because basically <laughs> by the end of it, you're, you're covered in blood. blood when, when, they're ha- when they're hacking up everything like this. And, the, <laughs> and it's, 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 it's another low, it's another um, five, five members, um, Doing, doing the Evil Dead, doing Evil Dead one and two as one musical sort of thing, so they combine the two, and you, and basically you know you have the audience members being flown over the heads of the audience and stuff like this, and that's what Toxic Avenger does have that sort of thing, and um, and the reason why we didn't cover it is because the off Broadway um, team that gave us the video didn't give us very good video sort of thing. It was it was very crackly and not very good sound production sort of thing. So, so, but and in the apocalypse anyway. So, yeah. well, I mean, and an apocalypse. I mean, I'm. Oh well, yeah, we, we, my, we, my we, life has never that. been the same again. No, same here. I watched it with Asher last night again, and just like he goes, doesn't she know that all those people are dying? He's a dying behind her. I go, no, she's got her earbuds in. She doesn't have a clue. She just skipped it on her way. <laughs> She's like a bicycle, like a bicyclist just to be hit, almost be hit by an eighteen wheeler. (laughs) (laughs) 
bother you smash next to it. So Definitely good. a new Christmas staple in my home. Mm-hmm. Same. Yay. So is, um, does anyone have anything else they want to add about Toxic the Avenger before we do move on to Anna and the Apocalypse? I just love it. I'm glad that I watched it. Bring it back. Let's do it. And I love the idea. I want to see uh, two for one or all day. You know how they do Harry Potter, right? Um, uh, where it's part one is three hours and then you take right. a break and part two is another three hours in the West End. Um, I think we need to do that. And it could be Anna and the Apocalypse and then you take a break and it could be Toxic Avenger on stage live. And yeah, yes. I'm, I'm all up for that ticket. Make sure COVID is over. I'll get my shots. I'll do whatever I have to do, but I will be over. <laughs> Lloyd, if you're listening, let's let's help that uh, help that along. Yeah, Lloyd. I hated you in grammar school. I hated you in high school And if we went to college I'd hate you there too You're a bitch, you're a slut You're a liar, you're a whore Then I need something out Let me think some more You're a talk, you're a tramp You're as cheap as Demi Moore Get to one this round Snap, snap, From the co-writers of the Amazon top-selling serial story, Time Slingers, comes a new, full-cast audiobook, Death of a Bounty Hunter, a supernatural steampunk western. Fourteen different characters voiced by 11 professional voice performers. A Korean bounty hunter named Flint finds himself in the middle of an occult plot to steal a powerful relic from an innocent woman. Get me the Iron Spur, and I will show you true power. Caught between the desperate sheriff who's becoming unhinged at the worst possible time. He mutters the word like a curse dipped in sarcasm. I draw my gun and shoot him between the eyes. And the phantom woman haunting his nightmares. The living always think the dead are worse off. Flint will have to make a choice. Confront the sheriff's posse of misfits or run. But he's losing time. An ogre of a man with a gatling gun for an arm. The brash and headstrong Pinkerton agent, Geraldine Abernathy. And a young, speedster idiot ludicrously named Fancy. 
subdued. They'll all converge at the home of a widow who's lost everything but possesses the relic they all desire, the Iron Spur. Damn that trinket to hell. I don't care what it is or what it does or why the Duskfinders want it. I care about my children. Death of a Bounty Hunter. The weird western you've been waiting for. Available on www.deathofabountyhunter.com.
Our next feature is End of the Apocalypse, which is a 2017 British Christmas zombie musical film, which was directed by John McPhail. From a screenplay by Alan McDonald and Ryan McHenry, based on McHenry's 2010 BAFTA-nominated short, Zombie the Musical. It stars an ensemble cast of largely unknown young talents, including Ella Hunt, Malcolm Cummings, Sarah Swire, Christopher LeVu, Mary Lou Sue, Ben Wiggins, Mark Benton, and Paul Kay. What we're going to do now is cut to the trailer and be right back. was the night before Christmas, and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Young Anna was nestled, all snug in her bed. Not knowing tomorrow, she'd meet the undead. How would she survive? What this season would bring? Well, that's simple. She'd stab, she'd slash, and she'd sing. Justin Bieber's a zombie. Welcome back to the Literary License Podcast, and now we're discussing Anna the Apocalypse, a 2017 Christmas zombie musical. So, Joe, what are your thoughts about Anna the Apocalypse? Um, I, <clears throat> I'm completely new to Anna and the Apocalypse. I had heard of it for uh, a couple of years now, and um, I watched it for the first time um, Monday or Tuesday this week, and I... I loved it. I mean, I couldn't, uh, especially once, um, once everything gets started, I, I, I covered uh, the other day that I, I mentioned that the version I saw was the 92 minute version. So I, I remember watching it and around the 20 minute mark going, what the hell? There's only like an hour left. None of the zombie stuff has really started yet. They've hinted at it. Yeah. I found out that there's a longer version, which it might make more sense now why it took, uh, uh, 20 to 25 minutes to uh, to get there. Probably the longer version is probably uh, probably the better version to see. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic. It moves. Uh, the characters are just are just absolutely lovable in it. Like you, just, you get vested yeah. in them. You yeah, you do. You do. And when um, when uh, when John sacrifices himself for Anna, that's one of the most. Um, <laughs> that, that's literally we we're sitting there just going oh my god no it, I, know, I thought he was gonna live it's just like damn it subverts your expectations too because you're thinking that uh that 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 nick who's kind of a douche is yeah. okay he's gonna he's gonna get eaten halfway through and then yeah. he's, it's so strange because also at the same time 
when you're watching it, of course it's called Anna and the Apocalypse, so of course she's... But the one that comes off as the traditional horror movie final girl is actually... Um, um, wow, what is the character's name? Miss North? Um, Sarah Squire's character. She's the one that comes off like she's going to be the actual final girl. And though she is, she, she does spoilers. She uh, it's, it's fantastic. There's a, there, there's a lot of, um, a lot of um, just subversion of expectations, uh, characters that are really, really cool and a lot of fun. And it, it moves really fast, which could be also because it's only like 90 minutes or the version I saw is only 90 minutes, but moves really fast, just really quick. Absolutely loved it. Soundtrack is fantastic. Definitely. You know, they gotta give gotta give major credits to the soundtrack. Keith put loaded the soundtrack onto our, our website when I was at the gym the other day ago. I was listening to it. <laughs> yeah, the songs are fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it was great. I mean, all the characters, I mean, even just from you know, meeting a couple of them and all of you the other day ago, the chemistry is just it's there. That's why it works. I mean, all these kids, or I guess they were kids at the time, or they're kids to me. Anyway, you know, they just they're just great actors. They they had it going on. They made it interesting. They got you vested. The adult characters, you actually cared what happened to these people, you know, and you didn't expect what was happening here and there. You know, you thought this was going to happen, but that's not how it turned out. No spoilers. So you have to watch it. But I mean, you just don't expect what's coming, you know, and after and I've watched it three times this week already. And I always find something else that I didn't notice. Like when you had talked about the other day ago when the kids were using their um, footage in the film, and I did not know that that was actual footage of them, you know, goofing around on the set. So that that brought a little more to the meaning to me after you know meeting two of your actors, and uh, it, it was just it was just fantastic the musical score, everything, and it's it's kind of Christmassy no matter what, <laughs> no matter how awful it is, it's Christmassy. The music's Christmassy anyway. And even the villain, the, you know, the teacher, what was his name? I forget him. Um, um, Savage. Yeah, he was fantastic. I mean, I don't, he actually, you're actually kind of a lovable cad slash villain. So He's for just your, so mean. Yeah, is, uh, Savage is played by, um, why am I going blank? I almost said Tony okay. K. Okay. I can't want to call him okay. Peter okay. K. But okay. I always want to call him Peter K, though, and that's someone totally yeah. different. <laughs> Paul K from Game of Thrones. Yeah, I was going to say he kept his beard through this. He must have been filming at the same time. Game of Thrones. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. But he had a full boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he wasn't on set that long. I think he really came up and knocked it out pretty quick. He was great, though. I mean, his parts in it. I mean, he's sitting there eating Christmas dinner with all this carnage. And part of it's his fault because he was opening the doors to force that carnage. And he's just sitting there eating his Christmas dinner. So, you know, he's all hard. I bet you Keith really liked that character out of all of them. Uh, <laughs> that the man, after, would do. man after my own heart. That's what I'd be doing. He's like, <laughs> go on a killing Fine, stage, suit yourselves. Precisely. One thing I can sit there and say about Anna that's quite interesting is, is that it's a very well thought out film and script basically the songs are very well thought out basically and they do give you a precursor of what's going to happen right you don't realize it the first time you watch it you kind of let them wash over you but then when you start listening to it more and you start watching it 
well, Hollywood ending, um, the first song as well, you know, um, and, you know, and, and if you hear, you know, what they're saying and stuff like this, and you listen to the lyrics, yeah. um, the lyrics are so meaningful. And I mean, especially like, you know, we do mention this a little bit in the interview, which right. you know, listeners out there, there is an interview that will be out um, the following day after this premieres. Um, but, you know, a human voice. I mean, where are we now? I mean, everyone's That's a beautiful song. Voice, human contact and everything like this. And what is a bit bizarre about Anne and the Apocalypse, it does feel like a harbinger for 2020, which yeah. is kind of bizarre because a lot of things that they're mentioning in here is stuff that we've all gone through within the last year. A lot of people have gone through, probably more you guys than myself, because I've been going to work every single day and I've been, you know, getting out of the house. I haven't actually quarantined or I haven't actually been in any kind of... um house arrest situation that everyone else has been under due to um what i do so but um but i know that you know when i speak to my patients um at the moment i mean my patients are going through a really really hard time and they're not and um it's turned all it's turned everyone a little bit crazy in a sociological sense um, from my patients' point of view, and my patients, and you know, just for the record, though, you know, I do do psychiatry and stuff like this. My patients are not psychiatric patients. My patients are people with immunosuppressive diseases. They're normal people who just happen to be on, um, they're on, they're on a life-threatening disease sort of thing. And that's what my patients are. So basically, so it's not because they're crazy and they're all gone this way. These are normal people who are basically becoming, you know, cabin fevered. Over the nine, you know, over the nine, almost well, it will be a year before any of this stuff. Right, right. Because, you know, instead of before we're doing the whole COVID um, vaccines, we're not expecting here in the UK to get to the under 40s until Easter time. Yeah. So that's what, you know, sort of thing. So at the moment, we're doing everything in blocks, 80 to 80 onwards, you know, 70 to 80 and so on and so forth. So we're going to be seeing people in this kind of a weird lockdown cabin fever scenarios for, for over a year. And and it's quite interesting that and in the apocalypse, the, these people are kind of isolated. They're isolated from their family and stuff like this. And the, and the emotions that they're speaking do do speak very, very true. And it's and that's what I like about Anna is that it works on so many levels. And for something that you know, the harbinger that it has become for, you know, the days that we are still speaks to you. And it, I think that, and as technology goes on as well, I think that, you know, that human voice song itself is going to have a life of its own. Yes. I think that um, we, didn't we interview, didn't Roddy and Tommy said that there wasn't there school choirs that are like performing that song now? Yeah, I think there's, you know, Roddy and Tommy, um, Roddy Hart, Tommy Riley are the composers, lyricists, um, that did all the music for Anna and the Apocalypse. And first of all, they're just so brilliant. I think your audience um, will find out that they're working on Animaniacs now, which right. is so brilliant because that uh, Anna and the Apocalypse kind of led to some of that. Um, to, to your point, I mean, it was probably a song right now, Hollywood ending. Um, and, and just uh, one point of correction, it's actually, I don't know why it's misquoted so often online, but the movie actually came out in December of 2018. And we were doing the film festival circuit um, in 2017. So the movie is often labeled a year earlier than it was ever made. I mean, almost right. a year and a half to two years earlier than it was ever made available to the public. So um, this Christmas is our second anniversary of the film being out. Um, so it's still pretty fresh and, and new, but Hollywood ending is um, by far getting more uh, plays on Spotify um, it is a favorite scene. Um, it is the um, up yours 
Um, I can't take any more of these, you know, immature high school antics song that uh, Ella Hunt, uh, as Anna, sings so appropriately when she's basically framing Ben Wiggins, who plays Nick. And Ben is just an exceptional actor. He does a lot of West End uh, stuff um, as our bad boy. And, uh, and then Turn My Life Around is actually the second most popular song. And I think that's because people really relate to, at that age group, really looking at a pivot to turn their life around. And those lyrics really resonate. And then after that, it's Breakaway. And that song also is a bit of an anthem for, you know, wanting to just, just let me out, let me out into the world. Let me just get out of my routine and go uh, travel and see and do things. Um, and then bring it up, you know, the fourth most popular song right now is, is Soldier of War, which is our bad boy song um, and our slaying song, our Eye of the Tiger is what I like to call it. And uh, Ben Wiggins, again, man, as Nick, he just pulls that that song off. And I don't know if you know, there's a couple of notes in there that, um, you know, he goes so high in his register. Yeah. That, um, and it sounds like his vocal cords are going to break, but he, they, <laughs> they don't waver. And uh, I remember having him do it. We, we did karaoke. Um, well, I shouldn't say karaoke, but we did performances in a karaoke bar at, at um, Fantastic Fest in Austin at the Alamo draft house and then we did it again on our launch night here in the uk and we asked ben to um to sing that song uh, at the uh of it at the movie premiering in the uk and he's like oh my god damn i don't know if i can actually you know um hit that note i mean i haven't seen that note in like six months and he went off into a room and like was gurgling and gargling <laughs> and blah 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 and trying to figure out can i hit that note again so um, that, that's what's so amazing. I think about the soundtrack is just you guys all called out different songs um, and not one of them, the, your favorites are really in the, the top four of the most plays. That's just how rich and deep that portfolio is that Roddy and Tommy pulled off. And it's excellent just, soundtrack. Just really, excellent. So it's so meaningful. And I mean, especially probably maybe so well, I think it, it, it kind of resonated with me as well, because who doesn't want to break free and, who doesn't want a Hollywood ending and who doesn't want things to work out? Who doesn't want a human voice at this point with everything that's going on? So they're all relevant songs. And I think that's maybe what grabbed me the most and, you know, see a bunch of fresh faces and not just your, you know, Hollywood mainstream kind of thing. That's, that's also quite great about um, this movie too, because you don't know who a lot of these people are. They're all fresh and new. And that's always exciting too to see that you know it's it's different you know and it's fun and it, it means something. Well, and it's nice to hear that they're not auto tuned that this they're real voices. Yeah, that's because at the moment you're so used to seeing musicals or songs being performed and everyone's auto tuned because they always have that like mechanical sound to the voice. Yeah. Whether it's Glee, which most of them were all auto tuned. Trust me, hear most of them sing live. You don't want to ever do. So, but outside of maybe one or two of them, but, um, but that was also fresh because I was like shocked when I saw some of the live footage of them singing on YouTube. I was like, oh my God, they can actually really, really sing. Yeah. Quite a few triple threats in there that were unknown um, at the time. And I mean, Ella Hunt, she's just amazing. I mean, as the lead Nana, um, you know, when she sings, uh, I will believe, you know, there towards the end, um, no, hardly that many people talk about that song because it's at the end. It's um, not, you know, necessarily um, Hollywood. Well, you think it's the end. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it, means that it was very, it was, a, it was a well-timed song, though, even though it was at the tail end, because it was, you know, a, a, a real 
it was a moment. You just didn't know how it was going to play out. And she didn't clearly as the character. Yeah. Just that, that you know, the snow starts falling. Yeah. I just, I, I've seen this movie, you know, uh, you know, I, I should have probably self-disclosed this, um, but you know, I wrote the, the young adult novel in an apocalypse and um, I've seen this movie because uh, I also uh, oversaw the marketing and the, you know, the film festival and PR junket for it. And I, I've seen this movie probably over a hundred times. And every time when that first flake of snow kind of drifts down and she's singing, I will believe it just, it's a perfect mixture between her look, um, the uh, look in her eye, the snowflake, the, the moment and the, the chords that her voice hit. I, I think it's just like, there's so many of those little perfect moments blended into this unapologetic, you know, um, zombie Christmas musical. So yeah, it's quite, it's so unusual. I mean, there's nothing like it. Honestly, there really isn't nothing I've seen it come close or compares. I was, um, some of the responses um, from other YouTubers or um, from YouTubers or other podcasts about the show, what I, I guess probably the biggest, you know, congratulations you can have is that the only bad thing that everyone had ever said about this thing was that they wanted to see more of it. And they wish it was a TV series because they wanted to spend more time with these people. Or they wanted a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> they so, which which is a I mean which is an excellent thing to say which basically means it doesn't outstay its welcome and it doesn't now I've seen the extended version of this as well and um, it moves it moves at the same pace as the ninety two version of it. There's an extra song which I I kind of wish that um, this was that was left in the ninety two only because as said before um, you know about Mark Benton who plays his father he's such a phenomenal character actor in this country and to see him sing and the and the warmth that he has in his singing voice and that, that he sings against um paul k is a really good song and he got and it kind of brought him got to get a little bit more of him a little bit which you know but that's that's probably the main big difference yeah, and not only be on TV, but mark is such a talented stage actor so um you can only imagine how great it would be to have him on stage doing this live yeah I mean, I think that if Anna and the Apocalypse should ever make it to stake, it'd probably be better in a smaller theater sort of thing. Something yeah. that's not, because yeah. otherwise, you're gonna have you're gonna get have to get a lot of um, backing dancers to come in to fill up your stage, aren't you? <laughs> like in during like something like in the smaller numbers, you have to like <laughs> we need to bring up we need to cover the stage, people. Yeah, sort of quite thing. the choreographer. Yeah, we have to grab the Blu-ray to the Blu-ray is very, very good. The Blu-ray, um, I suggest buying it. It's uh, two. Does it have a longer version? The the extended version's on the Blu-ray. There's a making of on the Blu-ray. The gag reel. There's a very good commentary on the Blu-ray, and you get the '92 and the extended version. Yep. Yeah, I'm so gonna have to. I'm gonna have to just to see this extended version because that that was really the 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 thing that struck me was especially that, 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 like I said, that first 25 minutes, I'm like, this is taking a long time to get started for something that's only 90 minutes. What is going on here? <clears throat> so it makes sense that the version I saw was, uh, was extremely short. I definitely want to see the rest of it. I, w- I want to see the, uh, the, especially this other song you're talking about. I'm going to have to go and check all this out. Yeah. I mean, I also noticed that um, I have a habit of like listening to music on YouTube when I'm at work. So that way when a patient's talking to me, I can like stare at the screen blankly. And I was like, that sort of thing. And, um, and I've noticed that, um, and happy ending 
Hollywood ending and a couple of the songs are on my playlist on YouTube that come up during different other things that I listen to. And I noticed that every time I go up, I notice that there are more people subscribing and stuff. So it is, yeah. I think it is finding its audience. It is. It's our, you know, it's getting out there. Definitely. Yeah. But I also think that's a, a blessing really, because I think that sometimes if a film comes out and hits really big, yeah, and then, then people tend to forget about it. But when you get these slow burn things, that then people start gathering in, and and then people become a bit more, um, well, I don't want to say sycophantic because that would describe myself at the moment with this film. But um, I think that, <laughs> but they, they tend to like they like they tend to like oh I've discovered this film and they take it like as their own child and they give this child life sort of thing. Yeah, and I find that and, you know if you look at the if you look at the films that are really huge you know whether it's Rocky Horror or the and you look at the films that last over all these years are the films that are basically people discovered on their own. They weren't these great big blockbustery kind of films. They're they're not they the ones the that you hold people, you know, to have, you know, the dedicated audiences to. Early is this we talk a lot about all the, you know, the the heavy songs that are very emotional, but I mean what we haven't really touched on yet is the feel good songs that just really bring you up as well. And I, I have to, you know, we, we can't get to a whole podcast and talk about an apocalypse without mentioning uh, Marley Sue's performance as Lisa in It's That Time of Year. The time. Yes, absolutely. What a big old smile on your face. That <laughs> scene is just, the, I mean, I play it all the time. Because, I love that song. You know, even, not, even if you don't haven't seen it in the movie, it's just a really fun, upbeat kind of like, I'm going to decorate the tree to this song. And then all of a sudden yeah. you're stopping going, wait a minute, there's a bunch of double meaning in these lyrics. So <laughs> You know, come and come and empty your sack. It's like, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the penguins in their song. That that yeah. the fish rap. That was great. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind a, of random, but I liked it. <laughs> I mean, I had to also sit there and say that what also Anna has a habit of doing is that normally what you tend to get in a zombie film is that you kind of get okay, we get to know the characters, zombie apocalypse hits. And then basically it's just groom and doom to the very, very end. And where Anna knows how to lighten the mood without taking you out of the situation. And I, that's very, very clever. And that's a really hard thing to do. And I think that's what Anna does very well. Yeah, is that yeah, yeah, you do get these yeah. little light moments in it while they're fearing for their life and that the action's really tough and cursed. And, but yeah, it still moves without stopping and go, okay, let's have a laugh moment. Okay. Now let's go back. It's not like that. It, it all blends very, very well. Well, I think that's the brilliance of two uh, uh, two different groups of people. One is, um, you know, Ryan McHenry and Alan McDonald. Alan McDonald, who um, did such a great job writing the, um, the screenplay and the script. Um, and then also, you know, John McPhail, um, or the way he directed it, and uh, Nathan Ali Carew, who is a producer, but also, I mean, I was involved with them through the post-production process. Um led by Charlotte Walsh. And I mean, the, the, the cohesiveness of the team that worked on this at every step of the way. I mean, we were still doing edits. I mean, Charlotte and Mason and John were still in the edit bays um, along with uh, uh, another great editor, Mark, um, you know, up in, into 2018. I mean, you mentioned a couple of the cuts. There's three primary cuts of this uh thing and our running joke is that, that we still haven't locked the final cut um, because it was constantly going back to the drawing board and a lot of that had to do with the U.S. studio and distributor and what they wanted 
and what they didn't like about the longer version or did like and what they wanted more of. And it just became this, you know, that's, that's the joy benefit and also pain in the ass of being an indie film and an indie project, the journey. Then you also have to, you know, when it comes to the American market, you also have to do the, 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 the multiplex thing where the, how many times can it play during the course of the day to make sure that it becomes financially viable for them, for the, right. for the cinema sort of thing. So, I mean, um, for me, I mean, as far as Anna the Apocalypse is concerned, um, unfortunately, it does leave a bit of a void because you do, I still want to see more and I find myself keep going back to it and I have to sit there and say that my housemates are slightly becoming annoyed with me at the moment because of it. <laughs> but that's the mark of a great a great work though is that is mm-hmm. that you want more of it and it leaves you wanting yeah. more. That's what you should be doing. That's what everything you, sh- you do should be doing. Working mm-hmm. on those great oh, mysteries, you know. Some people, you know, do they make a second movie? It it kind of they it doesn't really catch on, but I think you know in your case I really think y'all should really think about this <laughs> for next year. <laughs> I would say that there's nothing that's not been mentioned on this podcast that is um, has not been thought about, and that's probably about all I can say. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of those scenarios where you had a movie that uh, you know you had. Um, a bunch of then unknown actors and it just, everything just, it just magically worked out. It, yeah. it, it, it all just works. So, yeah. The, the, the chemistry on this is fantastic. So yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's magical in that way because it, for whatever reason, just everything just meshes together so perfectly and you just want more of it. And that's probably the, the, um, it's probably what most uh, most filmmakers, most artists in general kind of aspire to is that when you make something, the people who see it want more of it. So on that note, congratulations to every one of you. Yes. Well, if you want more of it, I highly recommend. <laughs> I, I will be checking out that extended cut. Yeah. Well, um, well, there's a book. And Barry's going to tell you all about Anna and the Apocalypse book that's available on Amazon and what you can get if you're actually one of our UK listeners. Take it away, Barry. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I think that, um, well, there's, a, just to finish that thought, there is an, uh, a young adult novel paperback. You can buy it. At, uh, you can check out Goodreads. I think it's available at a lot of um, bookstores online and including Amazon.com. Um, there is an audio book, uh, Five Hours and 40 Minutes, um, read by the amazing Fiona Hardingham. Um, she does a great job. We wanted a little bit of a Scottish accent since the cool. origin. Um, we're in Scotland since Ryan McHenry, uh, you know, the one that started it all, uh, is Scottish and a lot of the team, John McPhail, Scottish talent. Um, so the audiobook is really fun. And, uh, and then of course an ebook and, you know, it, it it's, uh, if you want to play in the world of an apocalypse, the book is, is quite a different thing because as we've been talking about how great the music is, um, when you, you know, you can't put music into a book and to novelization. And when you extract the music and the amount of storytelling that it does, um, it leaves you with, you know, about a hundred pages um, of what you're trying, of novelization once you fill in the blanks. Um, whereas, you know, we needed 265 pages uh, for a young adult novel. Right. Um, so there was a lot more content that we needed to put into the book. And therefore, we got a, a little chance to play creatively with um, 
new scenes. Uh, we there was a great meeting I had with Alan McDonald and Mason, uh, where we sat around and brainstormed any idea and every idea that had ever been discussed. Uh, ideas that ended up on in the trash bin. Um, ideas that uh, might have been written into one of the forms of the screenplay, but got trashed or cut for timing or because a character was removed or, you know, things that happened like that. And so what was great about the book is we had a chance to put some original ideas uh, for Anna Apocalypse in, in the book, in the story of the book that never, ever um, made it into the shooting script. Uh, even in the extended version. Awesome. And that was really fun. Um, you know, so there's at least, I can think of three, there's probably more, three very different um, segments and plots that, that are in the book that are not in the movie. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. And what about the UK and, listeners? Oh, yeah. We've been, um, we're, we're giving away Keith Wright an audio book. Yep. The audio book of And in the Apocalypse which yeah. we'll have everything in our show notes at the bottom of this podcast. And it will also be in our newsletter in January. So make sure you sign up to our newsletter at www.llpodcast.com and you will see how you can get your very own copy of the audio book of Anne and the Apocalypse. You know, I think if you're going to be cooking a big Christmas dinner or you're in the middle of a major Hanukkah bake or whatever it might be, um, you know, this is a great story if you want to kind of listen in and smirch yourself in the world while you're doing some Christmas and stuff or Hanukkah stuff. Or it's a just... good idea while you're cooking too, because cooking gets so tedious and boring and you can only listen to so many Christmas carols after a while before you start day drinking. So <laughs> it's probably good to find something a little more upbeat. <laughs> That's a good idea. Actually. Listen. Ladies, why don't you get behind me? Yeah, groovy. Mate, pass me that, right? The streets are chaos and the outlook is dire. Time for a hero to step into the fire. The world's a jungle and we're close to extinction. This is my moment and I'll fight with distinction. We'll once stay focused. Keep your concentration Will you have fun and use your imagination No time for weakness when the undead are waiting So look it out there and start decapitating When it comes to killing zombies, I'm the top of my class Why you been hiding, I've been kicking some ass
We're at the part of our program where we're going to give our final thoughts of these two films and whether you think they play well together or which or which you prefer over these two. Or you can pick both of them. And we'll start with you, Bix. What are your <laughs> final thoughts of Anne and the Apocalypse and the Toxic Avenger, the musical? Well, we all know I love Toxic Avenger. You know, I, I love the humor. Uh, I like I, I, the best best work adjective I've heard was unapologetic. It's perfect because that's, that's trauma all the way down. And if you get offended easily, it's probably not for the faint of heart, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's comedic. There's a lot of talent in it. There's a lot of versatility. And I mean, if you're into, you know, that kind of thing, like we love horror and we like musicals and you know, we like cinema and you know, pretty much everything here. It's definitely for you. And it's just a lot of fun and I guarantee you, you'll laugh. And Anna and the Apocalypse was a nice, um, uh, something, a nice find that Keith had found that I had not heard of. And it kind of, you know, it, it's, a, it's something that stays with you. The music is, is brilliant and it, it's beautiful. And everybody in there has all this great chemistry. And you can tell when somebody has it together between the writing, the directing, you know, the soundtrack and the acting. And, and it's all pulled together and it's almost perfect. You know, and it, it it just shows right through and uh, it leaves you wanting more. Right? I won't deny it. Some of us are greedy, very, <laughs> but um, it, it's fantastic. And it, the soundtrack is great. Like I said, I, I listened to it when I was at the gym the other day, put a little more perk in my workout maybe, but uh, it, it's just fantastic. And it, it even is more meaningful after you talk to these people and you know how much went into it. And it, it just gives you a greater appreciation for the film. And I know as far as trauma, a great deal goes into that as well, because these people, you know, they're there to they're there to please and keep their fans happy. What about yourself, Joe? What are your final thoughts? Uh, <clears throat> I do love both of them out of the two. Anna and the Apocalypse, I think, uh, I, I think works better. And I think part of that is uh, what, what, uh, Barry said a minute ago, and that's that there is some there is a lot in the story, um, and I feel like I, I feel like narratively the story to end in the apocalypse moves a lot um, a lot better than um, than the story to the, uh, the the Toxic Avenger musical. Um, so I think on that note, end in the apocalypse is definitely uh, definitely uh, the the better one of the two. Also, I feel like the songs are more memorable in Anna and the Apocalypse than in the Toxic Avenger musical. And again, that's not a knock on the Toxic Avenger musical. I, I love the music in that. Um, it's different. 
It's definitely different. Um, all, uh, the the other the other thing that um, Keith brought up earlier uh, is at least the Toxic Avenger musical. Also, they, they didn't just take the movie and turn it into a musical. They did pull from the comic books. Uh, they did pull from the cartoon series. That that, that changed things up a little bit and uh, made it a little more interesting. Also, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, both of these are definitely worth checking out. I love the idea of uh, that, that that Barry brought up of doing a. Um, uh, like a double shot of showing the movie and in the apocalypse and then maybe having some of the cast members do a live performance of the toxic Avenger musical later on, like maybe the five principal uh, leads of Anne and the apocalypse doing the toxic Avenger musical right after that would be fantastic. Um, both are definitely worth checking out. Both are going to be satisfactory. If you're, you know, if you're a horror movie fan, if you're, yeah. if you're a trauma fan, if you're a fan of musicals, they're just, both are a lot of fun. And I think ultimately that's that's the most important thing is that they're they're both fun and in the apocalypse, so like we said, that leaves you wanting to see more. Yeah. So both are fantastic though. What about yourself, Barry? Well, I'll pick up on where Joe was going with it. I mean, what is great about both of these um, stories is that they are worlds, you know, they're franchises. They have more than just one single aspect. I mean with Toxic Avenger, you've got all the forms that you've talked about, the uh, cartoon and the previous movie, and then the stage show. With Anne Apocalypse, um, you've got the movie itself. You've got the soundtrack and the storytelling in each song. And then you've got the, the um, paperback book. Um, but as well, you've got this five-hour and 40-minute five and audio book, which also comes in a whole different voice. And so what I love about both of these is that they're rich worlds with characters of which honestly could be extended further uh, either way. And I think that's the most wonderful type of world to uh, that's the kind of world I like to submerge myself in. You mentioned Lord of the Rings. Now I, I, I don't want anyone laughing that I'm comparing Lord of the Rings, even though I didn't know Gandalf, uh, you know, got as dirty as you mentioned Keith, but Hey, I'll have to take another look at that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, that's a world that just kept going in the stories yeah. and the characters and then you fall in love with them. And I think that's what Anne and Apocalypse has. I mean, I fall in love with these characters. I want to know what happens next. I want to know what happened before the zombie apocalypse hit. Um, we just got into some of their relationships, but I want to know, um, not to spoil it, but I want to know where Anna, Nick and Steph end up in that car as they're driving down the road. And for the people that have seen it, that'll make complete sense. Exactly. (laughs) And I also, you know, I have to say I'm edging a little bit because we're doing this during Christmas time and the Christmas theme of Apocalypse, the song, it's that time of year, you know, uh, it it gets me in the heartstrings. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It makes me do, you know, jump out of my seat. And so I, I, you know, I'm partial, you know, one's a family member and one's a, a, a good friend. So I, I have to choose the family member. <laughs> oh, wait. And as for myself, um, I like Toxic Avenger, the musical a lot, only because I quite like these, these fun where they take, you know, whether it's a horror franchise or take something that you do love, you know, I said before, I'm a big fan of Carrie, the musical. I'm a big fan of Scary the Musical. Any um, any of our listeners out there, look it up. It's a drag queen version of Carrie, and it was original music done from Chicago. It was played in Chicago by the um, Wolfens. Um, I think it's the Wolfenstuff Theater Company, something like that. But check check out the cast album of that. 
bloody hilarious and catch up, check the YouTubes. So me, Toxic Avenger kind of hits, hits the right notes. And I like the way that it doesn't take itself seriously. Um, and it's a good piece of theater that you know that, you know, you, you, you pay your money and you just go out for a good night and you're coming out of there and a really fun high. And you figure, God, I had a lot of fun. And in the apocalypse, um, it's totally different for me because this is something that kind of speaks to me. We, we go on a journey. It's um, emotionally, it's very, very effective. I like how your how the characters grow. You, they start off with one one place and they all end up somewhere else sort of thing. And you watch this emotional journey at the same time that they're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. And out of some of the... You know, I've seen a lot of zombie films. I've seen, I'm a huge horror fan, as everyone knows. And it's very, very rare that you do see any kind of emotional growth in a lot of, in, in this particular exactly. genre a lot. Normally they're on the, you know, even when you watch The Walking Dead, those characters are the same they were when they, you know, that show first exactly. started. So there's never that emotional depth. And Anna in the Pocket does that to you. But at the same time, you're watching something and you're so invested and so involved that you do want to see more. The songs are very, very humble. They're very, very memorable. I find myself thinking, you know, Hollywood ending goes through my head. Breakaway goes through my head. Human voice. All those songs run through my head at most impotent times. And I find myself like, you know, walking down the halls of the corridor at work on my way to the ward going, ooh, ooh, ah, no such thing as all, you know, and I'm sitting there and I find myself, and people looking at me and say, oh my God, I'm singing that out loud. So I, I, this happens all the time. So it's very, very memorable and it just stick with me. And it also become a part of, you know, and, now, and it's great that every year I'm finding, you know, a, a, a chestnut to add to my Christmas collection exactly. sort of thing, you know, and my Christmases start off with, you know, a Christmas carol, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Twas the Night Before Christmas, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Charlie Brown Christmas, The Grinch, the original um, Warner Brothers one. And then, and then, and then I watch Compass and I watch a Christmas Horror Story. That's another one of my favorites. A Christmas Carol with the Kelsey Grammer, um, Alan Christmas. Menken, Lynn Aaron's <laughs> version. Black Christmas and now Anna the Apocalypse. Yeah. And the, you know, and I know that every single year, you know, once, you know, the first weekend of December, all these are gonna come and then basically this is gonna get me in the Christmas spirit. And, exactly. And it's great to find something like that. And and I also and I think, you know, for me, Anna's gonna be the thing that I feel like I discovered, sort of thing, and brought it out to people. Um and this year, for all all my staff that I have, all sixty staff members that work for me, um, basically what I've done was I've all got them a Spotify account for for Christmas for for a year a year Spotify, and I made them all a playlist, which also includes a lot of Anna songs in their playlists. And I've done it, you know, specifically for each member, and I've done that for them, sort of thing. And you know, Anna. And I've also given up quite a few Blu-rays away to people that I know as well in this country. So, so yeah, so Anna's the gift that keeps giving to my friends at the moment. So, so that, but for me, um, Toxic Avenger is something that I know that if it opens up again, I will definitely go see. I missed it when it came to the West End and I'm sorry that I did miss it. And I regret that, but it's a lot of fun, but. But it's but it's a theater, but it is part of the thing that I know that I'll watch and I know that I will enjoy, but I will for, it's not going to be something that's going to stay in my heart where Anna and the apocalypse is always going to be there in my heart, you know, no matter what. And, you know, I know 10, 15, 20 years now, you know, it's, it's going to be part of the legacy that I will, 
leave to my nieces and nephews and my 13 godchildren that basically, you know, they'll come over and we'll watch this sort of thing. So for me, Anna, the apocalypse wins out. Though Toxic Avenger would be fun to see on stage. I'm glad I saw it. But I still can't. I watched it about an hour and a half ago. um, And I still don't remember any of the songs. So so what does that tell you? My favorite dish is fish, mother flipper, and I eat it for the hell of it. A nice bit of halibut, that's not the only fish they got. Mackerel, I could take more than a snack full. Salmon with some jam, and I could drink it by the temple. Haddock's always radical, I eat the fins, I eat the gill. Pollock, cop, flounder, guppy, all fish is delicious to me. So that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. And remember that we'll have everything in our show notes about how you can get the Anne and the Apocalypse book. And if you're a UK listener, how you can download the audiobook for free. All you need is a simple code. And how to get that simple code is look at our show notes or make sure you sign up to our what um, our subscriber newsletter, which is www.llpodcast.com. Just put your name and your email, and we only send out one newsletter a month, so we're not going to be spamming you for the rest of your life. So, and it also tells you what you're up to. Our next episode will be Dark Shadows. We're covering episodes 440 to 460, and we'll be coming to the end of the 1795 storyline. Of course, our next book to screen for our classic novels will be Hunchback of Notre Dame, and we'll be joined by Shasta. Santa Parissa, um, which we're really looking forward to that. And of course, our next man, Nature versus Man will be 28 days and 28 weeks later. Um, so we'll be carrying on our zombie COVID disease um, theme that we seem to be carrying on forward for, for the, our apocalyptic theme. And of course, Bewitch will be covering episodes 17 to 21. Thanks. So roughly and of course but then again you can always correct me so if you do get to our newsletter you'll know exactly what we're covering so what i want to say is good night to um our the people who join me so good night joe good night keith good night barry thank you thanks for having me thanks for coming on and good night keith good night everybody and it was a pleasure barry talking to you again And it's happy holidays from Literally Awesome Podcast and make sure that you live well, play safe, and make sure you treat each other with lots of kindness because it's the differences that makes us
coming for me. I don't know who's coming for me.